I'd be delighted to. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your kindness and your provision for us. We thank you for this Bible study. Lord, thank you for all of Dane's hard work, and um, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word, and that you would help us to love your word with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right, so we are continuing with the commencing judgment of Jesus Christ. So our, uh, our journey began in uh, Revelation 4 and 5, where we saw Jesus' power and authority to uh, bring judgment on the world. We went through four different judgments so far, and now we're about to see two more. Uh, here's a quote from this week's study, and it's uh, Robert Thomas again. He says, he is a lamb, but he also has words, and he is lion-like as well as gentle. Paradoxically, the contrasting qualities merge in one person. This is the wrath of sacrificial love, whose only option after rejection is to push evil with utmost severity. <clears throat> so we're studying tonight the fifth and the sixth seal judgments, or yeah, seal judgments. And uh, okay, could I have you read first passage tonight. <clears throat> yeah, I just don't see it. Okay. It should take just a second here. Here we go. All right. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed also. <clears throat> All right, so... Just we saw the first four seals, uh, the lamb will open the seal as well. So we want to remember that this wrath is coming from the lamb, uh, that this is not the wrath of Satan, and this is not wrath of man. This is the wrath of Jesus Christ, who is worthy to bring wrath on an unbelieving world. And John identifies Jesus as lamb in his gospel. So this is familiar language for John. Uh, we, we don't have to be very confused when we see this uh, <clears throat> when we see this word picture used for Christ. We understand that just as John told us, he is the Lamb of God who is coming to take away the sins of the world. So in Revelation, we understand he is uh, that same Lamb who is bringing judgment for sins on the world. So last week uh, we saw four horsemen. These are the first four in our series. The fifth seal is not introduced with a horseman. Uh, so these first four are a set, and seals five and six and seven will be of a different set. Uh, but what the four horsemen showed us uh, was essentially the progress of an antichrist government um, that would uh, bring first peace onto the earth through nonviolent acquisition of global power. What would result from that peace would be war, which would be civil war, man turning against man, but the fact that it would be a global government 
shows that that civil war would also be a world war. Uh, that world war turns into famine, which has high levels of inflation and food rationing. And the result of that is death, uh, where one fourth of the earth will die under this regime. <clears throat> now we're, we're going to get a little bit more of a detailed picture of a part of that one fourth that died, and that's going to be our tribulation martyrs. Uh, so we see here that um, in God's wrath, uh, the martyrs are killed during first four seals. By the time we reach the fifth seal, they've already been killed. Uh, the fifth seal is Christ's opening up of this uh, title deed of the earth. Where, uh, it's giving credence to his ability to retrieve that uh, title deed from the hand of God. And part of that will be bringing justice uh, for these tribulation saints, these martyrs, uh, and that justice will also uh, hearken back to even the first martyr uh, who was able, killed by his brother Cain. Uh, so this fifth seal is from the title deed of the earth, opened by the one who can bring justice. Uh, it says that they were killed for the testimony uh, that they held on to. Now, it's not very specific whether or not they were preaching this testimony or whether or not it was simply the testimony which they believed and trusted themselves. Um, but regardless, that testimony, we know what it is uh, because it was given to them from Jesus Christ. And in John 3, uh, it's told to us that he who has received his testimony has set his seal uh, to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So this testimony uh, is two things here. It's that God is true and that eternal life comes through the Son, and that Son is Jesus Christ. This is saving gospel, the testimony uh, that these martyrs have held on to. Uh, so another, uh, another thing that we understand seeing these martyrs is that um, there must be a presence of uh, saints on the earth during the tribulation. There will be converts during that time, and when we get to chapter 7, we're going to see that it may actually be the largest revival in history. Uh, but for now, what we understand is that although the church has left the earth, there will be people saved during the time uh, of those first four uh, seals. All right, so it's that the souls of these uh, martyrs were under the altar. Uh, Different students of scripture see different altars here. There are two altars that are usually posed, either the altar of burnt offerings, uh, which is a sacrificial altar. Um, another one that is seen is the altar of incense. If this is the, al the altar of burnt offerings, it would be the only time in Revelation that that altar is spoken of, except possibly in Revelation 11.1. 1. Um, but... That altar is on earth, whereas this altar is in heaven. So even if 11.1 is the altar of burnt offerings, every other use of altar 
in, uh, in Revelation is speaking of an altar in heaven, and that altar is the altar of incense. One reason why two altars are sometimes seen here comes from Leviticus 4.7, where we see both altars together. It says, the priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, fragrant incense, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. And all the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Uh, so another thing to recognize, though, from this scripture is that the altar of fragrant incense is before the Lord, uh, not in the doorway. This altar that we're seeing in the center of this heavenly throne room um, is for the Lord, not sitting outside the doorway or in the doorway. Uh, so uh, I'm pretty sure this is the altar of incense. Um, and most commentators or students see the incense. It's, it, it is taught by a few that it's the altar of burnt offering. Uh, Leon Morris says about this altar, the sacrifice that puts away sin has been offered, and there is room only for the altar of incense, which typifies homage and the offering of prayers. So we want to keep in mind here that the sacrifice on the burnt offering um, altar, which was typified back in Leviticus, uh, point towards Christ's sacrificial um, death on the cross. That sacrifice has already been paid. So there are still sacrifices of incense, but there is no longer a need for the burnt offering altar. Its type has been fulfilled. Uh, so when we see this altar that the souls of the, uh, the saints are beneath, having been martyred, uh, their martyrdom was not as a sacrifice uh, in the same way that Christ was. It, it doesn't pay any debts as the uh, burnt offering altar does, but the prayers of incense are a frequent theme throughout Revelation, and they're representative of prayers of the saints, um, and this is going to be a very specific prayer, um, and they are, they're called imprecatory prayers. We have many of them throughout the Psalms where it's a call for justice, uh, a call for wrath on the enemies of, uh, of those who are being persecuted. And in Revelation 5.8, we've already seen uh, some of these prayers of incense relate to um, the church. So we see when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, who we interpreted to be the church, fell down before the land, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So these uh, prayers of the saints are being gathered into bowls of incense. And in Revelation 8, 4 through 5, uh, which is not too far away in the text for us, we'll be studying that two weeks, we'll see that the bowls um, are actually poured out onto the earth as wrath. So it makes sense to us that these prayers of the martyred saints are added to those bowls and dumped out on the earth when justice is paid. Uh, so in Revelation 8, 4, 5, he says, and the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censers and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. <clears throat> so what was it exactly that the martyrs cried out for, as mentioned um, it is 
similar to the imprecatory prayers of Psalm calling for justice on a first people. But uh, John does record a unique term for Lord here. There are two main Greek words for Lord. One is despotes and the other is uh, kurios. And here they're using despotes, which is only used 10 times in the New Testament, whereas kurios is used 195 times. So when we see a word so seldom used in the New Testament, we want to ask why. Uh, despotes has the basic meaning of master, lord, or ruler, or owner. Um, it specifically speaks to the one who has absolute authority uh, over people groups, over uh, individuals, whereas kurios unites Christ with the deity um, of God, because kurios is the way that the uh, Greek translators of the Septuagint translated Yahweh in the Old Testament. When uh, kurios was used of Jesus Christ, it was speaking of his deity. Right now, his deity is in full, uh, full view. He is in heaven before the Lord. So calling him kurios would almost be redundant, uh, but using the word despotes uh, shows that he has specific authority, and that authority is not only as God, but as the human ruler who is coming as well. If we remember, Christ is fully man and fully God. Uh, his role on earth during the millennium will depend on both of those uh, aspects of who he is. Only God can, um, can take away the sins of man when, when Jesus Christ is talking to the, um, to the young ruler and he says, why do you say that I am good? Only God is good. He's trying to evoke from that rich young ruler um, a confession of Jesus Christ as God. Uh, only God is good, and Jesus Christ is God. Only God can take away the sins of man. But uh, God has uh, put this man on this earth for the purpose of ruling. In Genesis 1.28, he commanded man to have dominion, and man has never had perfect dominion over this earth. In Jesus Christ, that dominion will be perfected through a man, um, and thus God will be victorious in this theater, which is the earth. Uh, so this uh, altar before the Lord, where the martyrs' prayers go up to him and it's poured out in wrath, uh, these prayers have been collecting since the dawn of time. In Genesis 4, 8 through 10, uh, we see what was probably the very first uh, prayer of a martyr going up to the Lord. And it's a very interesting and unique account. Uh, so Cain said, or let's see, Moses records, Cain told Abel's brother. Uh, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Uh, so uh, we want to keep this in mind that all the way from this beginning and all the way up until Revelation 16, we're going to be seeing cries of the martyrs for God bring justice uh, on their persecutors. 
And this prayer um, of the persecutor we see in Luke 18, um, Jesus Christ affirming that these prayers are heard and are answered. Um, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous uh, judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Uh, so that's a main theme here in Revelation is the bringing of justice uh, for millennia of injustice. Uh, this is quite different than the prayer of Stephen uh, that's recorded to us in Acts. Uh, there we see, uh, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. At the beginning of the church, we were beginning a special age of grace. Well, sitting back, you know, mm -hmm. I think he expected me to just... Okay, anyways, um, they began a special age of grace, which um, had so far uh, taken 2,000 years, and this special age of grace is characterized much, much in the same way as Stephen's prayer for those who persecuted him. Uh, that during this age of the church, we're seeking as many as we possibly can bring to faith in the Lord. Uh, but at the, uh, at the closing of the age, it will be a time where it's no longer time for grace. Uh, it's time for justice and judgment. Uh, so it's, it's not, I guess, less Christian, as some would say, for these martyrs to be calling for justice. It's recognizing the peculiarity of the time that they're in, that now is the time for justice. Uh, whereas currently we in the church age recognize that uh, we will undergo justice, but um, ultimately we will be saved in the end. Um, and we, we undergo that persecution, though we in America have been particularly blessed with a lack of persecution. Uh, but we undergo that willingly and gladly for the Lord. Uh, but there will come a time where all of those sins of in or, uh, prayers of injustice uh, will be uh, will be uh, rectified. So these imprecatory prayers Leon Morris speaks of, uh, he says, while the martyrs clearly do not wish their persecutors to have untroubled lives, they are not asking for indiscriminate revenge. They want justice. And we see that uh, these tribulation martyrs do receive uh, their resurrection bodies at the end of this tribulation period. In Revelation 24, uh, John records, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast on it or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this coming to life of these souls beneath the altar will happen 
at the end of the tribulation period. So the souls that we see beneath the altar are not currently in resurrected bodies. Some have used this to argue for an intermediary body uh, where the, the, uh, the dead soul receives a temporary body while waiting its resurrection body. I personally have not seen enough evidence in scripture for this. Uh, I think Clarence Larkin has the best explanation for um, the, the body, so as scripture depicts it, is in three parts. Uh, the physical body, the soul, and the spirit. Uh, the soul has a spiritual body, uh, whereas the spirit itself has no body. So although these souls beneath the altar uh, do not have a physical body as we do, the soul is still able to speak and to be clothed in white garments, as we will see um, in the next verse here. But I, I don't think it's necessary that these saints um, have an intermediate physical body. Um, I don't think there's anything in the text to say that. So although it's many of the people who are in my own camp uh, theologically who believe that, I personally have not seen enough evidence for that. So you'll probably see at times um, people say that these saints who are awaiting their, their, um, their final resurrection to life have an intermediary body. Um, I, I can't teach you that that's what's happening here because I don't see it in the text. Uh, all right, and particularly the wrath is being called down on those who dwell on earth. In Revelation 3.10, we saw uh, more clearly who those, what that people group is. Um, so this is speaking to the church at Philadelphia. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. So those who are dwelling on the earth uh, are those who are not caught up before, excuse me, before that testing begins. Uh, but uh, those who dwell on the earth is used in the book of Revelation, particularly uh, to speak of unregenerated persons. So uh, the tribulation martyrs are calling for justice to be brought uh, for those who put them to death, and those were the unregenerate um, people who are still dwelling on the earth. Robert Thomas says about these people, they are the avowed opponents of the servants of God. The whole race is in rebellion and is, and is set on removing as many of God's servants as possible. Now, there is lots of persecution going on in the earth today, um, but I don't believe it is possible to quantify or quality, uh, quantify the entire population of the earth as wanting to remove as many of God's servants as possible. However, that will be the characterization of those people living on the earth at that time. Uh, right now, the Holy Spirit acts as, uh, as a block or an intermediary between uh, what Satan would like to do on this earth and what he's allowed to do. Uh, he's called the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. Um, and when that restrainer is removed, this rebellion is allowed to 
uh, flare to its fullest potential on earth. Uh, and we'll see the hearts of man growing cold um, against God or um, soft toward him. Uh, I can't remember where I heard this said, but I, it's a pretty common saying that it's the same sun uh, that melts butter also hardens clay. That's it, yeah. The same stone that melts the butter also hardens clay. Uh, so this wrath of God that's coming on the earth, it will melt certain hearts where they'll recognize that this is the wrath of God and their hearts will be softened towards him. Uh, but then there are others who will be hardened towards him. Uh, so this whole period of time is uh, solidifying people in their trajectories, trajectories, whether or not they will choose the Lord or choose to follow Satan. Uh, and Jesus comforts, or actually, I guess it is probably God who is comforting these martyrs. If you remember in verse 6, we had, or verse 7 of the last, no, it was 6, uh, last week, where there was a voice that came from between the living creatures uh, that indicated how much wheat and barley for how much, or for how many denarius. And we correlated that with the verse here in uh, Revelation 6.11, the voice that comforts the martyrs. It's likely that both of these speakers are the same. And um, as it comes from between the, um, between the living creatures, it's probably God the Father on the throne. However, it may be uh, Christ the Lamb. Uh, so these overcomers uh, or church saints uh, are also promised white garments. Uh, this is during the church age, remember, in Revelation 3, speaking to the church at Sardis. Uh, Jesus Christ offers those who have overcome through him uh, that uh, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. After the uh, resurrection or translation or rapture of the church, uh, whichever term best speaks to you. Uh, we see the elders um, in Revelation 4 clothed in these white garments which had been promised to them. So in Revelation 4 4, the description of the elders on the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the throne I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Uh, the tribulation saints uh, will also come up again in Revelation 7. These are spoken of both as on earth and uh, martyred saints, uh, but these are not part of the church. These are part of the uh, body of people that will come to faith during the tribulation. Remember the the church uh, body is a very unique um, body of people beginning at Pentecost and ending at the rapture. Um, it's not the only body of people God has ever brought uh, into being, but um, all bodies of saved people have always and only come to faith on um, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are saved members of Israel prior to Pentecost, um, who are not part of the church, but are saved on that foundation of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Um, 
So we also want to make sure that we are understanding here in the tribulation, those who come to faith are not joining the bride of Christ. Nevertheless, they are saved and promised authority um, still. So they are uh, they are collecting in the um, the body of people who will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation to enter into the kingdom. Uh, we've got a chat here. You're freezing. Okay. Mm. Can everyone hear me still? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hopefully it won't freeze too bad here. All right. Oops, I didn't read that. Uh, so the tribulation saints, Revelation 7.14, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So we see that uh, the blood of the lamb also uh, is capable of saving people out of the tribulation. Uh, that period where it begins is not a severing of Christ's mercy. Um, his mercy will still exist, uh, even though he is doling out judgment. Um, we could see this all throughout history, that this is the way that God works. Whenever he is judging, he is also offering a pathway to salvation. Uh, the biggest one that comes to mind would be at the flood. Though God was judging the entire earth, he still offered a pathway of salvation uh, through Noah and the ark that uh, he built. And he prophesied for 120 years um, that judgment was coming. Uh, and God was faithful to save every member of Noah's family who entered onto that ark. Um, so we see that God does not close the door entirely on uh, on the opportunity to come to faith uh, while still alive on earth. So in Revelation 14, 12 through 13, uh, we read, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. So Jesus Christ has clothed them with white garments and told them to rest for a little while. Um, this is a resting from their persecution, a resting from their toil. Um, essentially, he's saying, you're safe now. Nothing else will harm you. But um, he's also telling them to wait for a little while because he is not ready to finish um, his process of bringing justice. Uh, and the reason is that not all who will join their numbers have been their numbers. Uh, Leon Morris, um, speaking about this particular statement of Christ, says, this does not mean that God wants a specific number of martyrs and that he waits until somehow that number is reached is working out his plan, and in that plan, there is a place for other martyrs. Uh, this has to do with God's foreknowledge. He knows that there will be more uh, martyrs, though it is not his express purpose for uh, those who come to faith during the tribulation to be killed. Uh, his wrath, remember, is on uh, those who dwell on the earth, which characterizes unregenerate believers 
there will be believers on the earth. God's wrath is not against them, though Satan and the world's wrath will be against those uh, people. So God recognizes here that um, there will be casualties of this war. Um, we see this as well. This is what I wanted. This uh, head is wrong. This should be Genesis 15, 13 to 16. Uh, when God is speaking to Abraham and promising him a seed, promising him a nation, uh, he gives a very unique prophecy uh, that tells Abraham that he will enter a period of persecution. Uh, but that persecution has a time limit and a purpose for why it is not coming to a sooner end. So God said to Abraham, know for a certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for uh, 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is postponing Israel's return to the land because those whom they would come in and conquer from the land were not yet so corrupt that God deemed it just for their expulsion from the land. Uh, this is a hot topic uh, quite often gave God the right to send his uh his armies of Judah in to destroy the people of the land. Uh, it was at, at the point where Judah entered the land with the army of Israel, the iniquity of the Amorites had been complete. Their cup had been filled with immoralities, um, and it was time for justice to be brought. There was nothing redemptive left. Uh, and I think that's the same thing that's happening here in verse 11, that God is telling them, Justice is coming, but it's not yet time, because when Christ comes to the earth, that's it. That's where mercy ends as well. There is no more opportunity for people to come to faith. So there will be more murders, yes, but there will be more converts as well. There will be more people who come to faith. And that's what, uh, that's what God is holding out for, the, the stragglers. Uh, so we learn from this, these three verses that the presence of martyrs from the tribulation in heaven at the opening of the fifth seal implies that though the church is gone, men will come to faith in the tribulation and global antichrist government will not tolerate faith in Jesus. Also, the number of those who would be martyred will continue throughout the tribulation. Certainly the first indication of uh, martyrs, but there will be more. All right, our next section is cosmic convulsions. Uh, this is seal number six. And Kelly, could I have you read this one for us? Yes, 